You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. It's Mother's Day, and Mother's Day is one of the biggest days of the year for some churches. For some churches, it ranks right after Easter as one of the largest attendance days. But that's typically among churches that is, they're, they're traditional churches, and they have a lot of older members who on Mother's Day can say, all my children better be in church with me, they better be sitting in the pew with me. Uh, we are a little bit of a different generational church. We have a lot of young moms who their kids are here with them every Sunday because they're in tow with them. They come along with them to be a part of the service. And so today is kind of a mixed bag for us. We have some guests here with us because it's Mother's Day, but we also have some that are not with us because mom is elsewhere and they're with her. But wherever you're at, I'm glad that you're here and I'm glad that we can celebrate Mother's Day together by looking at God's Word. Um, our church is passionate about reaching people who are far from Jesus. And because that's been our passion and our mission, we've been able to reach many people who are not in that that standard, traditional church demographic. That's the reason we have so many young ones who are across the hallway here worshiping Jesus this morning. And that is, that's our passion. Because that's our passion, the mission that we have at our church is we are building the church our friends and neighbors will join and then our children will lead. That has been our mission. That's been the driving force of our congregation from the very beginning. And we know that to accomplish this, the very best way for us to see this mission accomplished, for that to happen, for this church that our friends and neighbors will join and our children are going to one day lead, the best way for that to happen is for all of us to be participating in three things in an ongoing way. There are three steps, but they're not three steps that we do and they're accomplished and they're done, they're achieved. They're ongoing. We all need to be following Jesus, growing in a group, and serving on a team. And we got those steps, and we got that mission from the original core group of people who planted our church with Robert and Gene Helms, who came here as missionaries to reach people who didn't know Jesus. That was baked into our DNA from the very beginning. But it's not just the mission and the actions of the original core group that started this church. That is the mission and the actions of the very first core group. The very first disciples that followed Jesus. Guys who have their names on books of the Bible, who were Jesus' closest friends. They were a part of that first core group of believers that started the church and transformed the world. And what we have at the end of the first chapter of John is kind of the origin story of how all of these men, all of these people came to be a part of that very, very, very first core group. That very first group that would lead the church to change the world. And something that, it, that is significant and, and, and important in each of their lives is that in this chapter what we see is they meet Jesus. And they meet Jesus first, and then they begin to follow him. And it has to come in that order because you cannot follow someone that you do not know. Well, I guess you can follow someone that you don't know, but it's kind of creepy. All right, It's it's stalking, right? You might get in trouble for it. But following, like we're talking about, walking with, this is something you do with someone you know. 
And in this passage, we see how all of these disciples come to know Jesus so that they can follow him. And so we're going to read the last 15 or so verses of John chapter 1. And as we do, I want you to pay special attention to how many times these words come up. Come, follow, seek, look, find. You're going to see these words pop up a lot in these verses, all right? So let's look at John chapter 1 and verse 35. And again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, this is John the Baptist, who last, last week our message was about him and his testimony of Jesus. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist testifies, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them, and saith unto them, What seek ye? What are you looking for? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say Master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So they come to see where Jesus is at, and they stay with him. They stick around. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonas, but thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. He says, You're known as Simon, but you're going to be called Rock. You're going to be called stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael has a little bit of a skepticism at first. Because what Nathaniel says is, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, What? Come see. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and saith to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under a fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly. This is like when Jesus will say this, he'll use this phrase oftentimes. It's like we will say in modern vernacular, like, hey, this is real talk. Right? Or this, this is, listen up. This is, this is, listen, this is the truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What we've got here is we've got the details and the origin story of several of Jesus' disciples, the very first core 
And John is sure to give us the names and places of where they came to follow Jesus because John wants these people to be able to, to reading his book to go and ask them questions or go and find out more about them. And this origin story becomes this powerful beginning of what God's going to do in their hearts and lives. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, a pretty big movie came out. Maybe you heard of it. Uh, the Avengers in game, and it was the ultimate finale to this series of movies that's been building for quite some time. And it very quickly crossed the threshold of grossing two billion, billion with a B, two billion dollars. Now, all of those movies are based upon the comic books that were written by Stan Lee. And some people have said that Stan Lee is kind of the master of the art of the origin story. And if you think about it, most of the superhero movies that we are familiar with, that they center around the superhero's origin story. And what the Avengers have done over the course of several years is they've constantly introduced new characters with title movies that give us their origin story, and all of those characters have tied into this ultimate finale in the series. So just a month before this this in-game ending movie, they give us the origin story of yet another character in the series. An origin story is powerful. A lot of times movies, they struggle to keep the same amount of passion and power in the sequel. Because there's so much that we relate to in an origin story. Because in the origin story, someone who is normal and ordinary, someone who seems like everybody else, they suddenly become a superhero. They suddenly become someone who makes all of this difference and has all of this impact. What we have here is we have the origin story of some people who they're not superheroes, they're ordinary men, but they make this huge impact on the world. In fact, later on in the book of Acts, which records the acts of the apostles, the acts of these people after Jesus leaves, there's a group that they bring some of the disciples before a judge, and they say, listen, the people who have been turning the world upside down, they have now come into our town as well. There was this reputation that they were changing everything. And these disciples that we just read about here in John chapter 1, we just read the origin story of what would lead to the biggest shift in the culture of the world that had ever been experienced. There was such this dramatic change that was brought about because of what they would do in the days after Jesus' resurrection. So what we have here in John chapter 1 is their origin story. And what their origin story shows us is that they're, they're not so powerful, and they don't have this huge impact on the world because they're bitten by radioactive spiders. They have this huge impact on the world because the source of their power is the same as the shaper of their hearts. It's Jesus. They get to know Jesus, and He becomes the source of this power and shapes their hearts, not only do they have this message that can change lives, but they have this desire, they have this heart for people who are far from Jesus, who don't know Jesus. They have this heart to help people, some of whom would even turn against them, some who would arrest them, some who would kill them even. They have a heart for them to know this truth that they have come to know. And that happened because they experienced Jesus, and He gives them this incredible power but he also shapes their hearts. 
And how does that happen? Well, what we see in this passage is it's a very simple formula. The disciples come to know Jesus and they stick around. Hear that, okay? What was it that happened? Those first two disciples, they come to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, what are you doing? What, what are you looking for? And they say, well, we, we'd kind of like to know where, you, where you're staying. And what they're asking is, we'd like to come and see you later. And instead of Jesus saying, where I'm at, this is where you can find me later, this is where you could find me tomorrow, He says, just come on now. Come with me. And then they end up sticking with Him and staying with Him. They abode with Him. And friends, when we abide with Jesus, when we spend time with Jesus, it makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. So because they were abiding with Jesus, they came to love Him, they came to appreciate Him, it made this huge difference in their life. And while you can't follow someone that you don't know, you won't follow someone that you don't love and trust. Because they came to love and trust Jesus, they follow Him. And by spending this time with Him, they become these world-changing disciples. It wasn't because they learned a piece of information. It wasn't because they were in the right place at the right time. It was because they were spending time with Jesus. And Jesus says to each one of them, what does He say to them? Come and see. Come and follow. Follow me. Spend time with me. And this is not just an invitation to a church service. This is not an invitation to hang out from 9.30 to 10.25. That's what I'm hoping for today. 9.30 to 10.25. This is an invitation to spend all the time together. To to go from place to place together. To eat meals together. To walk from town to town together. They would hang out with Jesus for three and a half years. Throughout His entire ministry. And this abiding with Him and spending time with Him, it makes all of this difference in them. Uh, Pastor Eric and I just this past week, we were working on some, some church leadership stuff and we listened uh, to this, this uh, seminar that was given by this guy. Just really, he really knows uh, church leadership stuff well. And, and at the end of his seminar, he opens up uh, for question and answers. And, and people can, can, can go to the mic and ask a question and he'll answer it. This guy goes to the mic, and I just feel bad for this guy because he goes to the mic and he lays out this incredible plan that they have put in place at their church where there are all of these online resources. And when you watch this thing online, then there's this book that you can read, and then there's this course you can take online. And it was just all of these digital resources that somebody could work through. And he's like, So that's what we're doing. And I would just really love your thoughts on it. So he's gone at length, on, and he says, Yeah, man, I wouldn't do that. He says, I don't think that you can develop someone that you never have any face-to-face time with. You see, here at our church, one of our values is that we believe that world-changing disciples are handmade. That we can't mass-produce that out of a factory. That there's not like a video or a sermon podcast that I can send you a link for on your phone and you listen to that and you are a world-changing disciple. No, you've got to spend time with someone who's been transformed by Jesus. You've got to spend time with someone who spent time with Jesus. You've got to spend time with someone who's going to show you how to spend time with Jesus. You've got to spend time with someone who's going to lead you towards Jesus and show you how to do life. And we'll use all of the resources that we can, and we'll use the links and the podcasts, and we put all of this stuff online because we know that it's helpful, but you've got to be handmade. 
The difference that was made in my life was not only that I had a relationship with Jesus, but I had some people in my life who had experienced Jesus, who molded me and encouraged me and directed me and developed me. It's a world-changing disciples. It's, they don't come about as a result of a class. They don't come about as a result of a podcast or a book. World-changing disciples are handmade. Now, what happens in the lives of these disciples, I mean, it's incredible. They, they go from being ordinary men like you and me, average Joes, average guys, to leading this movement that will transform the world. And they have this incredible sense of purpose. And most of them will go to their death. Most of them, the origin story that we're reading here, is an origin story that will lead them to dying because of their relationship with Jesus, because of their ministry for Jesus. But they go happily and gladly because they have this deep sense of purpose that this is what they were called to do, this is what they were made for. How does that happen? And I would submit to you that your depth of purpose is related to your proximity to Jesus. That the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you're spending time with Jesus, the more you're with Jesus, the proximity that you have with Jesus, that it is going to develop this powerful purpose in your life. And right here in this passage, we see some incredible examples of that. And nobody seems to get this more than Andrew. Andrew seems to get almost immediately, after one day with Jesus, almost immediately Andrew sees, like, i got to get other people around him. Look at verse 41. This is, this is talking about Andrew. It says, He first findeth his own brother. Simon. How many of you got a brother you know, like, that, that my brother really needs Jesus? Yeah, that was Andrew. Andrew's like, Simon really needs Jesus in his life. So the very first thing is he goes and he finds Simon. And he says, we found the Messiah which is being interpreted to Christ. And can, I, can I just pause here a moment? I love Andrew. I love, I love Andrew because Andrew is a lot, like a lot of you. You would never want to be where I'm at right now. You would never want to stand in front of a group of people and talk about Jesus. But you are incredible at going to one person, one-on-one, a friend, a family member, a coworker, and saying, hey, would you come to church with me? Hey, could I tell you about this, this thing that my church is doing? We, we've got some Andrews in our church that you are, you are so good at going and finding Simons and bringing them to Jesus. We don't know a whole lot about Andrew. Andrew doesn't get a whole lot of time, doesn't get a whole lot of press in the Gospels. But every time Andrew shows up, you know what he's doing? This right here, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Bringing someone to Jesus. I'm thankful we got some Andrews in our church. I mean, I, I've overheard conversations of people saying like, man, I, I need to get so-and-so to invite my parents to church because they'd probably come if he or she invited them. That's an Andrew. But Andrew had a hold of this simple fact. If I can get Simon around Jesus, it'll make this huge difference in his life. If I can just get, if I can get my brother to Jesus. And some of you got a family member like a Simon, because Simon had a lot of problems. And you, you, got a, you got a brother that's got some problems. You got a cousin that's got some problems. Can I just encourage you? Have the spirit of Andrew. I just, I just need to get them to Jesus. Jesus can make all the difference in the world. That was Andrew's heart. 
So very first thing, immediately, I'm, i got to go find Simon. I'm going to bring him to Jesus. Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, now what happens next is this really powerful moment where Jesus gives Simon a new name. Now, it, the power of this moment might be lost on us because we're not thinking about everything that we'll come to know about Simon. But Andrew knows all of the stuff that we'll come to know about Simon. Because Simon Peter, he makes a bunch of mistakes. And we get to know kind of how he's brash, and he's always putting his foot in his mouth, and he's, he's making mistakes, and there's sometimes he makes a fool of himself. Just this week I read an article, it was kind of a, a Christian satire article about like up in heaven, when the disciples get together, they probably are like, hey, let's read that one passage in the Gospels where Peter said that thing. And Simon's like, guys, not again. Let's not read that one. Oh, it's so embarrassing. There'll be all these moments coming up in the Gospels where Simon makes a mistake. And we don't know about those yet, but Andrew already knows that, right? Like, you might bring your brother to church and he could fool me, but you know who your brother really is, right? Like, you know, like, yeah, he's acting like he's churchy, but he ain't churchy. I know my brother. <laughs> and so Andrew brings Simon to Jesus and I, I wish that in this moment, this passage, I'm about the next section of this verse I'm about to read, I wish that we could just see Andrew's face in this moment. Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, but thou shalt be called Cephas. You will be called the rock. You're going to be the stone. You're going to be stable. And I imagine Andrew's like, okay, okay. <laughs> sure. That'd be great. I mean, I hope so. I hope so. But what Jesus sees in Peter is he sees his potential. What Jesus sees in Simon is that he can be Peter. He can be that stable one. And the next three years of spending time with Jesus is going to be an account. It's going to be a record of Simon making a bunch of mistakes, but it's also going to be an account of Simon learning a lot of lessons and getting closer and closer to Jesus. And like the very end of this book, the very end of the Gospel of John, is the way he decides to end it is Jesus telling Peter that he will go to his death proclaiming the message of Jesus. And so that doesn't sound like a very happy ending. For Peter, that would have meant the world because there had been so many times that he had failed. Been so many times that he had messed up and Jesus tells him, you're going you're gonna to cross the finish line, Peter. You're going to be faithful to me to the end. Jesus could see that in him even here. We see the same thing in Nathaniel. Nathaniel shows up and he's skeptical. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And what is it that Nathaniel says? Verse 46, And Nathaniel said unto him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Like, Jesus from Nazareth? I don't know about that. I mean, can anything this good comes from where, where Philip and Nathaniel and these guys were from. Nazareth was like the rival town. They played each other in high school football. Like they didn't like one another. He's like, I don't think any good thing can come from, from Nazareth. Philip says, what? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. And when he sees Nathaniel, he tells him, he says, listen, I saw you coming. I saw you. Jesus was expecting him. 
Nathaniel says, how did you know that it was me? How did you see that it was me? He says, listen, even before Philip got to you, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you. I want you to hear this, okay? Some of you might feel right at home thinking about Simon and Nathaniel. Simon, who was going to be brash and make all these mistakes and put his foot in his mouth. Right? Some of you, when you get around me, you're like, I just don't say anything stupid. Just don't say anything bad. Don't say any cuss words at church. Just don't say anything. Right? That was Simon. Okay? Nathaniel's the skeptic. Nathaniel's like, I don't think any good thing can... can I, don't, I don't know. Some of you, you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about church. I don't know about preachers. I don't know about... You can identify. You think, well, I, I don't know if I belong here. I want you to know, Jesus was expecting you. He was looking for you. He was looking for Simon Peter to show up, and he was looking for Nathaniel to show up, just like he looked for Philip, and just like he looked for Andrew. He was looking for you. You being here today, no surprise to God. It's not a shock to him. It might have been a shock to some of your family members. It might be a shock to your friends, but it is not a shock to God. He is expecting you. He's been looking for you. He's been waiting for you. And so Jesus has been expecting Nathaniel to show up. He's been watching. He's been looking. And then Nathaniel is just, he's blown away that, that Jesus can see, can already know all this about him. And so Nathaniel says, you must be the son of God. And Jesus responds, verse 50. Um, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. He says, really, Nathaniel, that, that convinced you? Let me tell you, man, you're going to see more than this. That, that doesn't hold a candle to the things that you're going to see. So he saw Nathaniel coming. He knew Simon's past, like Andrew did, but he saw potential in them, and he called them to something greater. He called Peter to be that stable rock. He called him to be that stone. He tells Nathaniel, you will see greater things. And when he says that, when he says, you will see greater things, we lose it in our, in our, our English translation. But in the original language, it's plural. So depending on where you're from, it might be y'all are going to see greater things, or you guys are going to see greater things, or youans, or wherever it is that you're from. It's a plural you. It's not just Nathaniel's going to see greater things, but all of you, all of you in this core group, you're going to see greater things. And so Jesus can see something in them. He can see potential in them, and he calls them into something greater. And I want you to know that not only did Jesus expect you, not only did he see you coming, but he's got greater things in store. He's calling you to be a part of something that is greater. And then verse 51 shows us how he can do that. That last, last verse of the chapter. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God descend, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, for these guys, these Jews, these Jewish men who had gone to synagogue and their parents had taught them about their ancestors, they would, have, they would have recognized this phrase that Jesus uses. Ascending and descending. Because in that tradition, in their ancestors, there was the story of Jacob. 
And Jacob is known as like this deceiver and he's always pulling tricks and he has to run away from his family and go find somewhere else to live. And while he's on his journey, he spends the night in the wilderness. And in the night, he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees heaven open and he sees angels descending and ascending this ladder. Maybe you've heard of Jacob's ladder. And so he sees, okay, Heaven is opened, and the angels of God are descending upon the earth and ascending back. And Jacob wakes up, and he says, Truly, this is the house of God, and I didn't know it. Truly, this is the place where God lives. And he names the location Bethel, because he's saying, This is God's house. He's saying, This is the place, this is the place where God has a portal or a connection to earth. And when he sends angels to do their bidding, to do what it is that he's called them to do, to go and work among men. They climb down this ladder here, and when they've accomplished it, they come back up the ladder to see God. This is, this is God's house. Jacob would go away, and he would get married, and he would have a family, and he would come back, and he would come back through the same location, and when he comes back through this location, he wrestles with God in prayer in this same place, and he changes the name from Bethel to El Bethel, which means not just God's house, but the God of God's house. And so when Jesus says, Nathaniel, i got greater things in store, you will see the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. He's saying, listen, he's saying, you're going to see the work of God happening, and it's not going to be tied to a location like Jacob saw. It's going to be tied to a person. It's going to be tied to me. And all throughout this first chapter, Jesus has been called the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. But here he says, you shall see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And he uses that phrase because it fulfills this prophecy in Daniel 7. And I know that I'm talking about a a lot of stuff that maybe is not familiar. So hang with me, okay? Because Daniel is this prophet that he has this dream. And in his dream, he sees these four horrible beasts that are roaming the world and are, are enslaving people. And they're causing all this harm and all this captivity. But there comes one he refers to as the Son of Man who slays the beasts, who kills the workers of evil. And what Jesus says in this moment to Nathaniel, he says, Nathaniel, I can do more than parlor tricks. I can do more than see where you were at 15 minutes ago. Nathaniel, you're going to see the angels. You're going to see heaven open.